0: This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malad. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 1. This season highlights the stories of immigrants and refugees from all around the world, as well as some organizations that work with and for these beautiful people. My guest today is Raish Mwembe. She is a 21-year-old full-time student at the University of Northern Colorado. She moved here at the age of 10 with her family from Congo Brazzaville. As you will hear during this interview, my prior knowledge of Congo was embarrassingly limited. Let me share a little of what I've since learned. The Congo comprises two countries, the Republic of the Congo, where Raish is from, which is on the western side of the Congo River, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, formerly known as Zaire, on the east side of the river. The Congolese civil war in Raish's home country occurred from 1993 to 94, as well as from 1997 through 1999. This is a civil war Raish references that her parents were fleeing from. Raish and I could have visited for hours. Our time together came to an end way too soon. She is an incredibly motivated woman, as you will soon learn. Here is her story. Hello, Raish. Hello. Could you tell me, are you an immigrant, refugee, or asylum seeker? I am a refugee. A refugee from Congo.
1: From Congo, yes.
0: Now, I don't know if other people make this mistake, but I frequently do. I've always said, the Congo. Can you explain if it is the Congo or Congo and why
1: people make that mistake? So there's two Congos. There is the Democratic Republic of Congo and there's the Republic of Congo. So you can both say the Congo. It will correspond to both of um, the Congo. But if you want to be specific, because if you really ask for me, I'm from Congo, Brazzaville. If I wanted... Um, you to know like, okay, this is the Congo I was from. I would say Congo, Brazzaville or the Republic of Congo. But yes, there is two Congo and most people don't actually know that. So I just like to throw that fact out there. That there's Thank two you Congo. for
0: educating us. Yes. I did yeah. not know that. Is it because of, Civil war, civil unrest. I
1: mean, there was a there was a war. King um, Leopold, when King Leopold went to Congo with the biggest genocide um, that happened in Congo, so that's how it divided. And it's just a river that really separates us. But it's the same thing. I like to always say it's like North Korea and South Korea. Uh, okay. <laughs> literally same thing, same food, same clothing, same uh-huh. languages. We have different president, um, different way of leading, and that's it.
0: Have you read the uh, Poisonwood Bible? That's my only reference point for anything Congo.
1: No, I have not heard of that yet. Oh, it's by yet.
0: Barbara Kingsolver. And she writes this fantastic book about these missionaries in the 60s who go to Congo and they're going to save the world. And Ooh. it shows how misguided they are and mm-hmm. um the beauty of the people and the culture and the language and how, mm-hmm. if you go in with already a set plan, how that can just—you're not going to be received very well. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but I learned. Yeah,
0: I learned most of my history about the about Congo from reading that book, which mm-hmm. is pathetic. Actually, I probably should spend more time learning.
1: <laughs> no, I think reading is also uh, also one of the good way to really learn. But I feel like there's. If you experience it more, and if you go to the place and ask questions, I think that's that's another great way to really find out about the, you know the region, the country.
0: That's so true. So could you tell me what it was like growing up in your
1: village or your town or your city or your country? It was beautiful. Um, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is a river, because every it, no matter what no matter the day no matter the the weather we always go to the river that's where we shower that's where we fetch water to wash our clothes that's where we fetch water to uh, wash the dishes the river is like our happy place so when i think of like my childhood it's always the river but it was beautiful um i feel like it's very agriculture and life there is well obviously very different compared to, you know, America. Um, you know, here it's like you can't really go to your neighbor and say, Hey, can I please, you know, borrow some salt or hey, can I please borrow this? But in the Congo, the people you live with, your little community village, it's like they're your family. You know, you can go there, hey can you you watch over my child for like a couple hours and going to go to the market and um get something or sell fruits or something. It was really beautiful, you know. Um I'm so. You're making me yes. want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> you should visit. You should definitely visit. Yes. But now it's like, I don't know, you really can't do that. Um, and I don't know, what I think of the country. like when I think about my country, it was pure happiness. We didn't have a lot. We really did not have a lot. But what we did have is like the joy of having each other. We depended on each other a lot, you know. We depend on, if I don't have it, I know I can run to this person to have mm-hmm. it. If they don't have it, they can run to this person. And that's what we, like, balanced our life a little bit of. And it was very colorful. We I remember climbing trees, uh, bananas trees, and mango trees. And I would get in trouble a lot. I was a trouble kid. When I, <laughs> I never listened. And um, you know how people have the stereotype, like, oh, they chase lions or whatever. No. That is not true. That is crazy. But one thing I did chase was ducks. I I remember chasing (laughs) ducks. (laughs) It's very colorful. People are friendly. Um, The food is amazing. Like I said, we're agriculture, so most of the stuff um, we cook is what we like. We produce or like raise. So we would mostly eat a lot of greens. Um, My favorite is um, my favorite food. It's called manioc and. fumbu it's like it's like i don't know it's vegetable but there is a different kind of um just colorful different kind of meat that's added in there and then um have you heard of susu
0: i have heard of that and i've heard of manioc as well from that book yeah i learned it from yes. the book yes
1: yes exactly so that's my favorite meal um the food is delicious so can you get manioc here See, we try, my mom buys it and makes it, but it does not taste the same. I don't know what it is. I don't know really to transfer it, and then the amount of days, it's just, it mm-hmm. does not taste the same to me.
0: Fresh but, is always better.
1: I know, fresh is always better, but we do try to get it here. Actually, my mom made it a couple months ago, and it goes like that in my house. It I bet. Be day. Yeah, so, it's so good.
0: Did you, since you said it was such an agricultural country, does everybody... Mm grow their own gardens or do you have a community garden where
1: everything is grown? How does that work? So that works. So, okay, let me talk from, um, my mom, she, she bought a land there and that was like her little farm slash mm-hmm. garden. So she would plant, you know, she will grow, um, vegetables there. She will also have animals there to like, you know, make them grow. I don't know how to say it. Um, so everyone there basically have their own farm but if you don't you go work for the other person and in return you kind of get some benefits of the the land mm-hmm. so because okay. there's a lot of there's a lot of um, responsibility that, that comes with owning a garden or a land you have to make sure the grass is cut you have to make sure you water the the food and stuff like that so you can hire someone like hire someone to like help you with those duties mm-hmm. but in return like, um, they give you some of the land, or they give you food as well, food stuff to go cook and stuff. Okay. But mostly everyone have their farm, or mostly it's just given down to their family. Like my grandpa could get giving it to my mom. It's just run down. But mostly everyone owed um a lot of land slash farms become. Okay. Yeah.
0: So far, the word pictures you are giving me is making this the happiest place in the world and i'm so tickled i feel it's bad so that beautiful. you're not there anymore
1: i i feel bad but at the same time i feel like this opportunity um because the reality is um africa as a whole is a poor continent but i feel like congo could be i always say this Congo could be the richest country in the world mm-hmm. only if it knows how to use its resources we mm-hmm. have everything there literally like i just found out a couple of years ago i still use that that like our iphones you know most of the minerals in our phones in our computers they get it from the Congo. we literally have everything if we knew how to use those resources we could be the the richest country in the world but because i don't know because it's just people there is just we're poor <laughs> well but, sadly um, sadly i
0: think Lots of people in the Congo have been taken advantage of from colonizers, mm-hmm. and that might be exactly. a big part of the reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think so?
1: Yeah, yeah. The Just, like, that's the reason, actually one of the main reasons why we divided. It's because we were one, Congo Zaire, known as Congo mm-hmm. as Zaire, and then we divided. It's like, my people was like, oh, you know what, we don't agree with this. And they were like, no, we don't agree with you guys. So we just decided to, like, so people just come in and take advantage of literally everything and we just let them I mean Mm -hmm. there's some people that do fight for like oh no that's wrong but you know when you have people that have way more power than you Mm -hmm. what can you do you know so So that's kind of where yeah it is right now and still is today still is today
0: this might be a ignorant question but you are saying my people are there several different tribes or families of people in the congo and do people still relate to their family in those tribal ways or could you explain that to us that's a very foreign concept to most americans
1: Mm -hmm. so like there is a lot of tribes a lot of different tribes like my 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 dad is um tangi and my mom is tiki that's two different tribes there's over 56 different tribes in the congo and with that comes a lot of tradition a lot of different cultures but it is um passed down from generation to generation and like today now in today's society it's kind of a little different and um it's kind of like washed a little bit. I don't know if that makes sense, but Uh it's still the same. Like, for example, um, when a mother gives birth, it is, it's tradition that the mother has to, after she gives birth, the mother has to tie the the wrapper around her stomach so that, you know, it can something with the baby. But, Mm -hmm. um, Now in today's society, it's like, oh no, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even matter. You know, you don't even have to do that anymore. And then there's really, there's a lot of different um, things that are, that gets passed down and um, traditions. So there's a lot. And those tribes are like, in those tribes, we have people that are like kings and people that are, how do you call it in English? Mm, like village rulers Mm -hmm. like those that have the final say in the Mm -hmm. village or in the tribe we have a lot of those um yeah there's a lot of tribes a lot (laughs) with that comes a lot of I just knowledge you know a lot of knowledge that even people like um teenagers my age from my country don't even know like when you listen to an I, I recently talked to my grandma last or yesterday or two days ago and she just kept giving me knowledge and there was some because you speak in um you have to like unscramble it um how do you call that oh um, um like in a riddle yeah you speak in riddles so you don't really understand what they're trying to say but you're like I get it my dad has he's been telling me like oh um how does he say it? it's in French? It's like uh a cow does not walk behind with like looking at his tail or something. Basically, it's like when you move forward, don't look. You know, like they speak in riddles and you're trying to figure out. So with that comes a lot of knowledge. You learn a lot. I love that.
0: Those are like um metaphors or
1: metaphor, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Or like parables, small stories that exactly. have a huge impact. that the listener has to draw their own meaning from it's not a direct speech it's indirect
1: and those metaphors are usually short Corey, they're so short but like the message behind it leaves you thinking like wow like that's that has a lot of knowledge you know like i feel like that's even one if you ask any african kids like growing up in an african home how is it for you they're going to be like my parents never tell me anything straight it's always <laughs> it's always in metaphors or you know it's just it's a beautiful I love that though in. that really
0: is beautiful i think that yeah.
1: is especially that. when they're mad at you especially now it probably isn't
0: fun when they're mad at you you probably no, want no. them to speak straight then <laughs>
1: exactly. but
0: i love i love the idea that they respect you enough to think that mm-hmm. you can come up with your own understanding of what they're saying.
1: Exactly. That's so
0: yeah. wise. Yes. Like you said, yeah. the knowledge that they're passing down. And I, it sounds like that there is a lot of respect for elders, mm-hmm. for the older oh, generation.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I did, um, I recently did a presentation last semester in my multicultural, um, multicultural class. And um, I found out that in Congo, we have who we give the most respect to is older adults because they are full of knowledge. They are full of wisdom. Like when they speak, if you don't listen, then we call you're just a fool, you know? They are full, they're full of knowledge. So we give them the utmost respect.
0: If we could adopt anything from you guys, I wish we could adopt that. That is so important i think we've lost that here in the states yeah when
1: i came to america i remember because uh, when i came i will tell you maybe a story if oh please have do time for that yes but when i came to america i remember um i came here when i was 10 years old i went to a public school very diverse very very diverse most of the people there were from you know asia africa very diverse but i had um, one problem uh i got bullied by the teachers not the students the teachers i remember i could not speak the language so i was telling the teacher can i go to the bathroom in french she under she told me that hey when we did the whole orientation she said i speak un petit peu francais so a little bit of french so i can you know understand a little bit so i asked her, can i please go to the bathroom in french and she embarrassed me saying, oh my gosh you need to speak english we don't speak french in here you speak english and I remember Aww. my dad had to come, and ever since then I took it up to me to like learn English. I went to the library um every single t- every single day after school I would take the bus I was ten year ten year old to the the city bus? Take the bus yes, the city bus, go to the library, read magic tree house books, listen to vowel sound, listen to myself and I learned good enough English to, like translate um at parents teacher conferences, at doctors' appointments, literally like I learned good enough English in three months that I just I had the motivation. I just couldn't sit there and watch even teachers just bullying me. So like it's like from then I was like, oh my gosh, they <laughs> it's gonna be I'm different. so it's sorry. A <laughs> that it's is it's gonna be a different journey.
0: That is so yeah. sad that the teachers were the ones you felt bullied by because yes, you didn't future. speak english
1: no and it's like I, I i cannot make this up literally like she i had i could not i did not leave the back of that day they had to call my dad to come and pick me up oh i'm sorry because i was so embarrassed i still remember like it was yesterday yeah. but with that it's like i went to high school i am in college with a full ride so it's like all of this really made me who I am. And it's like, yes, there was some um, struggles and some hardship on the road, but I am really grateful for everything (laughs) while Mm -hmm. coming here and what it has taught me.
0: The hardship or the struggle that felt bad at the time, you're saying, Mm -hmm. was actually a good thing later on down the road because it forced you to pick up the language faster?
1: Not even that. Like my self esteem when I came in, because when you come here, you don't know the dress code. You don't know anything. You come here with your your traditional clothes and you know shoes that looks different from from someone, hair tie that looks different from someone else's. Mm-hmm. So it built my self esteem low in the beginning. So I was like, oh my gosh, I look different. But when I started learning English and like I started finding myself, it, it's really it's really um it's sad to see as a ten year old I started you know finding myself, but it's really when I had to force myself to grow up fast because I realized, like, my parents, still today, my mom can't really speak English good enough, you know. So I'm still the See? one, you know. I'm, yeah, still till today. She, My mom speaks more than six languages. She speaks French. She speaks Lingala. She speaks a lot of language, but English is the only language she cannot get through. I do not blame her. It is so hard.
0: Yes, it is. It's How so many hard. do you speak, Raish?
1: I speak Four.
0: Four what are they
1: I speak four. actually i'm going to take the other one because i only understand <laughs> i speak three <laughs> i speak english <laughs> i speak english kikongo and um, french
0: okay what's the fourth one that you said you only understand so i
1: was going to say lingala but i only understand that one have yeah. you been
0: able to use them for
1: translating purposes to help others yes i the irc i also translated here and there when it was time for like um registering yeah and then I also used to work with this company I totally forgot what they were called but I used to drive from like Denver to Greeley to like translate at doctor's appointment I would literally have to be there physically with the client wow. and like translate for them so I did that for a couple of months but I realized it was like a lot of like gas and a lot of mileage on my car and it wasn't really paying that well and I Uh was in school for my defense I I love I love doing it but it was a lot I was in school and also doing IRC and I Mm -hmm. was like I'm gonna keep you know take it down
0: (laughs) wow Raish, I'm already so impressed and we haven't even gotten halfway there I mean I'm on like question number two
1: (laughs) no you're you're
0: oh You told me that you came here when you were 10 years old. What were the circumstances
1: that brought your family to the US? So, my family and I, during the war in Congo, my dad applied for um, his uh, refugee status. So, the war would be one. Um, Mm -hmm. Poverty, a lot Mm of um, just diseases going on. I would definitely say the war and like poverty has, it's definitely the main. Mm -hmm. um reason or circumstances why we had to um move or apply for the status
0: was your dad um
1: in the war my dad was yes like like, it happened when he was there, but um, I remember they ran away. That's when they migrated to Gabon for a few years.
0: Did you have to deal with anxiety, or was it kind of just an adventure because you're a child and you don't know any different? Oh,
1: no. I had to live through anxiety. I did not I did not know French. And the main language that was spoken there um, that's, that they speak there is French. So imagine I speak Kikongo, so I go to Gabon, and same thing again, like – <laughs> getting bullied because I don't speak French, saying a word in Kikong, and they're like, oh no, you said that wrong. And then going to school, and th- that's Africa. They don't care. At least in America, they will probably like report a teacher or, you know, do this or, you know. But in Africa, they don't care. If somebody bully you, call your mom, what it, What are they going to do? Nothing. So I had, it was a lot. I did not know anyone. I was directly put into kindergarten and have to learn how to read, how to write, Wow, was working so we had to find somebody to babysit after they were done. You know, after they were done from work, so they could come and get me. It was a lot, but thankfully my mom had, um, my dad had family there, so we kind of like worked with that a little bit. But it was still a lot, especially I think for my parents because moving, you know, leaving your parents and everything Mm -hmm. that you know to another country, it Mm was a lot. It was a lot.
0: Did your parents already speak French? Yes, yeah, Okay, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, when you apply for refugee status, do you do that through the UNHCR? Do you apply directly to an embassy? Do you apply to this country you want so to we did So we
1: did it through the UNHCR. Okay. We did it, and the great thing is, you know how some, um, well, I don't know if you know, but there's some people that have to stay in, like, refugee camps. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't have to do that, thankfully. So what Lucky we you. did- I know what we did is my dad applied for the status, um, in Congo. And then, as I said, we migrated to Gabon. Mm-hmm. So we lived there my whole life. So I am from Congo, but I I grew up in Gabon. Okay. And in Gabon. So they said that, okay, another story coming up, but in Gabon, um, he lost, um, his, um, they said they lost his file. So we almost did not come to America oh, because no. they said they lost his file, And it took us a year until they called us back and they were like, hello, Mr. Candy, we found your file, pack your bags, you're coming. But it was, it was crazy, Corey, because imagine my mom sold her land to buy the flight tickets or Uh the the bus tickets from like um, a city in Gabon to the capital of Gabon. So those alone, you know, we had to sell our land. We had to sell our clothes. We had to sell all that. So we moved there. I went to Libreville, the capital of Gabon, mm-hmm. and we stayed in hotels there that was funded by the UNH, not funded, that, you know, they let us stay in, mm-hmm. um, but we almost did not make it. They lost our file, and my parents were place for, like, a year. Like, what are we going to do I can't next?
0: imagine. Just when you told me, my heart dropped yeah. to my stomach,
1: so. It was crazy, because when they did that, my mom saw literally everything so just imagine your wife (laughs) selling everything for the family and then your husband is like oh no we're not going she almost (sighs) left she almost left my dad like it was crazy because The the fear yeah and it was not that she was filled with anger like how did that sell everything that i owned for these tickets and they lost our file you know anger so yeah. And then they called us a couple, I think a year or a couple months, like six, seven months. They called us, um, oh Mr. Can they pack your bags? You're going to America. And then within that, I think we had literally two weeks. So imagine me at 10 or 9, 8, no, wait. Yeah, nine. Um, no, 10, because I turned yeah, I came when I was 10. So 10 year old, 10. Um, imagine me leaving my friends, everything I know, coming here. It was crazy.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you by the Immigrant and Refugee Center of Northern Colorado, making Northern Colorado a home for all who live here. Whatever circumstances brought you to Northern Colorado, we are so glad you're here now. IRC NOCO is here to help you find your way. We want to be the doorway through which cross-cultural sharing and experiences occur. Whether you are new to this area or you are a part of the receiving community, We want to be your resource for information and services related to moving our community forward together. Through information sharing, dialogue, and events where we can all come together as one, we are investing into our shared prosperity. Empower. Connect. Advocate. Learn more at www.ircnoco.org. You had to learn a new language twice when you going to school. Twice, <laughs> so now, twice.
1: No wonder you twice. were so
0: determined once you got to the oh, U.S. Man,
1: yeah. Makes, I, I, I said uh, English will not be one of those.
0: <laughs>
1: I said I have to learn, so I learned. Yeah.
0: When you were in the United States, did they have
1: a ESL class that you took in elementary school? They did, and they actually put me a year behind until, funny thing, I tested out of it the next two months, and then they brought me back, and I was like, okay, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, they put me in ESL class, and... Like I said, I tested out of it in a couple months. After actually going to the library and stuff, mm-hmm. I tested out of the ESL program. And ever since then, you know, I've still had, I've still had friends that was in it. And I was like, I'm out, yay! <laughs> but yeah, there were definitely ESL classes. And I think it, it, it was very helpful. It was very, very helpful. But yeah, it sounds like
0: people... you had the most motivation of your, yes. on your own in order to on do it. Own. And the more motivation you have, the quicker you learn.
1: exactly exactly more motivation and I think that motivation just came from like in Africa I struggled a lot my parents tried their hardest because in Africa school you have to pay as soon as you step in school you have to pay Mm -hmm. it's not like here where like it's free until you're in college no as soon as you put your kindergarten preschool you have to pay so there were some times where I didn't I couldn't go to school because my Mm. parents didn't have the money so I looked at that during when I came to America and I'm like I have the opportunity to go to school here for free to learn, you know, through a certain, you know, year mm-hmm. or <laughs> level. But I said, I have to learn and I will. I definitely took advantage of that. And that's where my motivation was from a little bit, just looking back um, until to till today. That's definitely when I say, when they ask me, what's your motivation? I just, I say that, like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. seeing myself, and how my family and I lived in Africa mm-hmm. really is. One of my biggest motivation in
0: life. Mm -hmm. You all worked through something very hard together. So you're motivated to to stay the course, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. When you got the information from UNHCR that Mm -hmm. your visas had been approved, you're going to the USA, what was your family's reaction? How did you guys respond to the news?
1: So my dad was obviously excited. He was Out of this word, he was like, Yes, my mom was, you know, she had a lot of family. Well, my dad still does, but she's the type of woman she was, she's the only girl in her family. So she has four brothers, I think, five brothers, and she's the only girl. So okay. she she had to look at that, too. For her, it was kind of sad. For me, I was like, America, yes, I'm going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> new life. I was really happy, but I was really sad that I was leaving my friends behind and everything I knew and all that. But I think excitement was mostly what we had in our minds.
0: What did you imagine living in the U.S. would be like before you got here?
1: I thought living in the U.S. would be like You know, Alice in Wonderland, how she's like, there's candy everywhere and all (laughs) that. I thought it was going to be magical. I thought there was going to be snow every day. I thought there was going to be Christmas trees as tall as buildings. I imagined how how Africa talked about it. Like I thought there was literally like, you would walk down, somebody would give you money. (laughs) How sweet. I love that innocent view. (laughs) I just thought it was going to be this beautiful... Where everybody just love each other, where there's opportunities everywhere, where like black people will also have, people of black color will also have, you know, same equal opportunities as everyone else. I thought America would be the land of the free, as it says it is, Mm -hmm. equality and whatever. That's really what I thought.
0: What has it been like? What was it like in the immediate days following your arrival in the States? Did you come directly so, to, uh, well, I'm sure you probably flew into either New York. Yeah, New
1: York. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then to Denver.
0: Denver?
1: And then to Denver, yes. Once we got to Denver, we, um, since we're part well, not partnered up, they, the UNHCR has um, community partners, so they have an organi- organization here. It's like the IRC, basically. But um, they have volunteers that can go and get you at the airport, bring you to your house, and make sure you're comfortable. And those volunteers can choose to stay in your life. And my our, our um, volunteer, she's like our grandma now. Her name is Terry, awesome. And she's still in our life. And I remember once we landed, she brought me a coloring book. She brought me chocolate. And I remember it was around Christmas time. Like, just yeah, it was like around. No, we came here February, so it was like, you know, where Christmas thing we're going into. They were cheap a little bit. So she brought us coloring books. She brought us chocolate. She brought us a sweater. Um, I remember when she, you know, we got in the car. There was snow. So I was like, "That's a good start." I thought. There would be- <laughs> then the Christmas trees. <laughs> I know I didn't. I saw Christmas tree actually at the Dia. I remember. So there was snow, and then we got into the car. She dropped us off, and we saw our apartment and imagine, so in Africa, we used to live in, you know, when they say mod houses, that's not what we used to live. We used to, it was, it was houses, but it was good enough. So I come mm-hmm. here and I see this beautiful apartment, decorated and there's already couches and TV, mm-hmm. you know, there's already stove and we used to cook outside in Africa. And I'm like, uh-huh. we even have a fridge, literally. And wow. our bed is made and everything. So it yeah. was really beautiful. It was really nice, and then once we got here, the next day she came and picked us up. She brought us to Target. Uh, she got us some out of her like out of her pocket money, like mm-hmm. got us some clothes. I had my first hot dog. Like she bought me my first hot dog and like first Coke. I remember uh, she let us choose whatever we wanted at Target. What like, yeah, an amazing woman!
0: Did she volunteer with Lutheran Family Services?
1: No, it was a a a place in Denver. It's a community organization in Denver. I think oh. it's the, called the ACC. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Okay, yeah. So yeah. she 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 was volunteering there, and she I think she said she our she was our we were her last family. So she did three families, and wow. we were her last one. hmm Because she's That's very a old. Commitment. She's in her she's in her um seventies right now. Not too old, but. You know, she's um, in a place where she doesn't want to really pull herself out there right now. She, she's just home with her husband and
0: stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that there's people who are genuine. They genuinely care for immigrants and refugees who come mm-hmm. to the states, and they devote a huge chunk of time mm-hmm. to making yeah. making life better and making life welcoming for people. And mm-hmm. I'm glad you had
1: a positive experience with that. And she was the one that actually registered me. She went to school with me and my dad and registered my brothers and I and everything. She literally did things that she wasn't even supposed to do. I think she was supposed to just drop us at our house and like stop, but she mm-hmm. kept going. She went a mile on. She dropped, um, registered us into school, brought us to the appointment.
0: What a difference volunteers make, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot, Wow. yeah.
0: What was the hardest thing about coming here? You mentioned that you were excited with the new apartment and all the cool things and the refrigerator and the stove, but once the dust settled, did you were you kind of sad that, oh, but my grandparents mm-hmm. aren't here or, oh, I'm not going to have or see this again?
1: Yeah, I think for me... My brothers, I have two twin brothers. Well, I have three brothers now, but I have two twin brothers. So when we first got here, they had each other. They would play, mm-hmm. and we weren't really allowed to play with boys, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, they, were, they had each other, and I would look at the window every day and see little girls play with their scooters or, like, ride their bikes. And I'm like, I miss my friends. So I think it was really hard because I didn't have anyone I didn't have anyone, mm-hmm. and I would my parents had to you know start looking for a job or go to like job um, prep or things mm-hmm. like that. you know, mm-hmm. so it was really hard. It was really hard. So you're quite lonely. Yeah. yeah, very lonely.
0: So you've mentioned that you are a student. You go to the University of Northern Colorado. What is your major and when do you plan to graduate?
1: My major, I'm majoring in human services and I'm graduating next year, finally. Oh.
0: Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thank you. 2021, class of 2021. I'm how excited. Did, how did you plan to major
0: in human services?
1: So I remember orientation week, uh, I was talking to an advisor and she was like, So, what are you going to major with? It's okay if you want to be undeclared, you have plenty of time, but what do you like? And I remember blabbing about, I want to help people. I want to help the community. I want to help refugees like me. I want to help immigrants. And she's like, have you heard of human services? And I'm like, no, what is that? And she just went in and explained, like, you can do any of that with that. You can, you know, do social work. You can be a therapist. You can help. I was like, that's what I want to do. You that just, is what I want. To do. Don't you that's love exactly it? That's exactly what I want to do. And ever since then, you know how people in college change their majors and stuff? Mm-hmm. But ever since then, I'm just, I've just kept going. I was like, I love it. Especially those classes that I, I took a class now. Uh, it's helping skill. And, um, I was like this class, this is exactly why I'm majoring in this. That's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. I love
0: how driven you are and how you know exactly what it is you want to do. And congratulations to that. Thank counselor. you. It
1: might, it might take me a few months or years but once I decide on something and I like have the motivation the drive just to go the determination I I go for it once I know what I want and I say this is what I want and I put hard work determination and everything I got into it it manifests what was the best part about (laughs) moving here (laughs) moving here um I think I saw that there was opportunities there for people like me. I just had to know how to get there. So I think that was one of the best part too, just, okay, there's opportunities there for you, Raish, but you just have to work a little extra hard to get those opportunities. I think that's (laughs) fascinating that at 10, you recognized opportunity. No, yeah.
0: Have you experienced any racism or discrimination since moving here? Uh,
1: Yes. Tell me about it. Oh man! Okay, so I was working summer of twenty eighteen. I was working with the forest service in Estes Park, and it was like um, I would. When it was my first time, I was the only Black person in my team. So we had teams of ten, right? Mm -hmm. So one team will go to like this mountain and dig drains and cut trees off the trails and stuff. So it was like a seasonal job. So I was there for four, three months right so uh-huh. it was a team of 10 so I remember it was the only black person there um was that it was awkward amazing. from it was the get-go no no it was not well, in the beginning it was like oh but they made me feel like oh my gosh you know welcome we don't even great that doesn't even matter you know but it was not awkward what was was at the end of the season we know not have you know because we didn't have a car because we were in the mountains so parents so- had to come and get their um Yes. So you
0: stayed like in dorms that whole time no, up in the mountains.
1: No, I was a black person. I was camping for three. You months. were camping in the mountains. Camping the in whole the summer. Mountains the whole summer. Which I don't exactly. When I tell you that I am crazy, that I've never. <laughs> you are brave. I have never done this before. My parents looked at me and said, "Do you know that you're black?" <laughs> <laughs> imagine i have never slept in a sleeping bag i have i don't know how to pull you know i never even what is a tent what is a sleeping bag what is a you know never oh, right. so i said i'm gonna do it and those i'm telling you corey those mountains were like 14ers they were like huge mountains that mm-hmm. we had i had to sleep there climb like four miles and then you know hike there until we get to the top so we did not come down until the weekend so we were there for one week you know go down to take a shower and then we come back up again or leave you know if we don't finish that work we would stay there for like two weeks until we come down again you know shower for you know because our day off was saturday and sunday um do whatever you want you could come and visit your family or whatever and then go back again in the mountains (laughs) anyways at the end of the season since we didn't have vehicles, some of us didn't have vehicles. So I felt like people flew in like from Wisconsin or, you know, Nebraska or whatever just to come for the seasonal job. So at the end of the season, um, my teammate parent, they lived in Wisconsin. They came and picked her up right? And I remember we were saying bye to each other. So my, because my, um, my boyfriend at the time were the one that was going to come and take me up. So I remember he was not there yet. So we were just sitting in a fire circle and like, you know, telling jokes. And my teammate mother had the audacity to ask me. So, so cause she asked me, where are you from? I told her, oh, you know, what? I'm from Denver, but I'm originally from, you know, Congo. And she's like, When are you going back to your country? And it wasn't even in a tone where like, oh my gosh, when are you going to go visit again? Or have you been back? It was literally like, when are you going to go back to your country? I I froze. My whole body froze. My face just dropped. I didn't even know what to respond. And the worst thing is my teammate did not say anything. She didn't say, mom, that's rude. Mom, you don't ask this. Mom, no. She just sat there while her mom was asking me that. And, like I stood up with all the embarrassment I didn't even know I didn't even answer her. I just stood up and went to another um teammate and I said, "Hey, Zach, I don't know if this is inappropriate, but Stevie Mom just asked me this, and you know Zach was like, "No, that is not okay. Let me go talk to her, and I'm like, "No, it's okay. You know, I don't want to start anything past the season is over. People are leaving. Mm-hmm. That's fine. you know, I'm probably never gonna see them again, but it was like, how so many." Emotions. Oh. I'm just like, how can you even? Why? What even gives you the like to your face I, so rudely? To my face. To my face.
0: Like, and are then, you? Um, Raish, That's not, was, I cannot imagine the knot in my stomach if somebody were to look at me and say such horrible words to my face. It was,
1: I almost cried, but I knew if I cried, like I would give her the power that, or whatever. She wanted me to react to it. I don't know, but I was like, Raish, just get up politely. Don't even answer a question and just leave. And that's what I did. It was horrible. That was the kindest was thing you
0: could have done. I'm, I'm uh, impressed. I don't know that and, I would have had.
1: Even before that, you know how we do like team activities? Mm-hmm. So Stevie, that's how I knew that racism... Like really doesn't really you just don't you don't you're not born with it definitely not you know someone in your family or something out there that I don't know but yes um, it's taught for sure it's definitely taught I remember the beginning because we did like team activities we can you know build relationship Mm -hmm. and Stevie you know she mm-hmm. said oh my gosh guys do you guys want to see a picture of me my parents said that I look like a skinny Ethiopian in that picture and she pulled out a picture of her in her cheerleading outfit and I'm confused because what is a skinny Ethiopian supposed to look like talking about it just makes my blood boil because yeah the picture she showed me it was her in her cheerleading outfit with her ponytail up and I'm like I was like oh What is a skinny Ethiopian supposed to look like? She's like, oh, I just look a little darker. I said, Stevie, literally everyone in the team said that is not okay. And she got mad. She's like, my dad said it, not me. It doesn't matter what your dad Mm -hmm. says. Mm -hmm. Even that's what you believe it is. You don't even have to say it. Like, keep your picture, your opinion to yourself. What is a skinny Ethiopian supposed to look like?
0: Did she apologize to you?
1: No, she did not. He did not, and that's how I knew that. That's even why I didn't react when her mom said anything because I knew like this was already going on, you know. So wow. I was like, I'm just not gonna say anything. Ah, oh, uh, I was am
0: so sorry awful. you had to experience that. That some people are so insensitive. Actually, I think all of us are insensitive at times, we all say racist remarks unknowingly, but if yeah. you knowingly and blatantly say something like that lady did to you I, I Mean you've got to oh, learn Lord. you've got to see I mean I She had to
1: have seen your heart just drop. She did not apologize. They left. They went back to Wisconsin until today I have not heard or nothing. I'm so sorry And then the second time <laughs> I've experienced so I went out before I worked at the IRC I was looking for a job Mm -hmm. so badly and um, I'm part of this organization that Goodwill puts together where they help um, where they help people so um, I remember I told hey I need a job and they said well we can you know hook you up at a job I said yes that's okay I just want to make money I'm a student I am broke I need money so my first day working there you know, they showed me, okay, clothes go here and everything. I was like, okay, cool. I think this is going to be an easy job. The second day, mind you, they did not tell me. Obviously, it's common sense that you cannot have your phone at work or anything, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I had my phone in me for a reason. My, my, um, I had to speak in the hospital. So my dad, they can't speak English. So I had to translate. My dad called. I went to the bathroom. I entered the phone. It was like probably like a two minute call. And then I went back to work. My manager called me behind, Hey, Raish, you can't do this. And she started like attacking me. And they felt like I was the only black person there, first of all. And I've seen other girls, other employees on their phone texting on Snapchat. But I was, and I explained to her, I said, Yes, I admit I was on my phone and I was wrong, but this is why I was on my phone. Mm-hmm. She didn't take it she, she started, you know, like a tone where, you know, that tone that you just know there's, okay, this lady yep. is definitely just that tone. And I'm like, I started crying there. Like, you don't even know me. This is my second day there. And you're already, you know, accusing me of this, of lying of this, this. And right there in then I said, I quit. And I left, oh. started started crying in the car. Uh-huh. And the lady, and I knew it was racism because before I left, one of the employees that I already started, like, talking to, uh, she was a teenager my age, and she was like, where are you going, girl? And I said, hey, you know, I don't think I can work, what, tears running down my face mm-hmm. in front of customers. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can work here do it anymore, anymore, and this is what happened. She was like, what? I can not wish me that a BT, we're on, her fo- on our phone all the time. And I swear to you, when she said that, I, I was like, I knew it. I knew it was, because literally, I was, and she checked the camera, she said you we were there for two minutes. And I told her, and I showed her the contact. Mm-hmm. My dad. It says mm-hmm. dad on there. Like I wasn't on the phone with no one else. You know. Yeah. So I I knew that it was it was racism because everyone else is on their phone there. Even the, the manager herself. I mean, yeah, she's the manager. But if you want to follow direct want people to follow direction, you have to, you know, follow the direction yourself. Hmm.
0: I I need you to teach me something or be honest with me about this. Hmm. Um when i hear stories of what some people experience of racism i mean my heart drops i feel horrible i want to say i'm sorry but i'm sorry sounds so so small it doesn't sound enough Ooh. to show the convey the depth of your emotion that you the compassion that you're feeling for another is there something that would be you would like to hear better or just <sighs> what what can what can people like me do to show the depth of our compassion for when you explain stories like this to us and just saying oh i'm sorry that sucks like
1: that yeah.
0: that doesn't seem enough
1: you know even talking about this whole thing it's giving me chills because i don't think there's there's no i don't even see like Racism is something that I I still can't wrap my mind around. I've heard, I'm sorry. And like you said, it's not enough. Because Mm -hmm. although it's not you that has, you know, but it's like, it's still... It's systemic. No, it's it's okay. Exactly. And it's it's something horrible for me to even say and admit that I get scared, you know? Mm -hmm. I get really scared, especially when I'm around people that are different from me, white people, you know? Mm -hmm. I get scared what if this person is racist or what if Mm -hmm. this 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 and it's like i know i shouldn't think that everyone is racist because i've had one experience with this type of you know but literally me and my friend had this conversation like when we see you know white people out there we don't try to say oh my gosh you know we don't like them because they're racist. I'll have plenty of, you know, white friends. And mm-hmm. when I tell them things like that, they're like, oh my gosh, Rach, I'm sorry. I wish never, I wish there's something I could do. I wish I could make you feel better. But there's there's really nothing out there, you know, that can make us feel better. Or Especially, like as I said, Zach wanted to go talk to him, you know, mm-hmm. the, the mom. But I was mm-hmm. like, it won't do anything. The cause, the harm has already been done you know yes. yes hearing I'm sorry it's it's good but it's like I'm already hurt I already yes. feel like crap I already feel like I am not human I already feel like my skin color is not good enough I already yes. feel like I don't belong here so if, if I already feel like that your I'm sorry is okay it's probably gonna calm me down but I'm gonna go home and probably still think about it your yeah. I'm sorry is gonna make me probably feel good or make me you know calm down rage you know not white people. Not all white people are the same. It's okay. But when I go home, I'm probably going to replay that whole thing. Because when I tell you, when I, till today, I still think about it like it was yesterday. I don't know. There's really nothing. At least to me. At least to me.
0: Well, your opinion matters. And you matter. And I'm sorry you felt less than. And you still do. And that you feel scared for interactions with people. That's yeah. just horrible that we live in a society that allows that. I think... Mm-hmm. More of us need to show solidarity and allyship and stand up for and with our Black friends and neighbors mm-hmm. and colleagues. And maybe it's in those relationships that we can yeah. slowly but surely start to make this systemic cancer disappear,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's going to take and a I've while. Seen, I've seen that. Exactly. I've seen that. There's, there's good people out there. There is good white people out there and i've seen that i've experienced that but like you said it's gonna have to take some time because look at where we are today 2020 and look what's happening in the world right now you know yes today might be different but tomorrow you'll turn around it's another story it's another even if it's in the smallest form but you have to know your actions, your words whatever can hurt someone. You have to be optimistic in this life. Maybe it's going to end but when it's probably like not even in my mind right now.
0: I can understand the feeling of hopelessness. Um,
1: oh, I feel it's, that it's,
0: often when I watch the news or read about the next police brutality or the yeah. next black man who's been murdered. Um, it is, it breaks my heart and I want to scream out against the injustice and I don't know what to do. This is my small way of trying to do something and say, people, please open your eyes, become aware, look at our brothers and sisters suffering. They go home feeling less than they go home feeling with heavy hearts and crying. And I, I just, I can't handle that.
1: It's scary, Terry. I have three brothers. It's, it is scary, Corey. You know mm. my brother. He's sixteen. He just studied working uh, at a at a shop with uh, my dad. So he he takes the bus at eight six a.m. himself. You know, I'm like, it's scary, and I don't think people understand or even feel half, or at least white people like feel half of what we black people feel when it no, comes for sure. to that when it comes to racism it is scary thank you for
0: sharing your heart on that thank you for sharing yeah. your experiences even though it caused you to relive something very painful i really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing this so that we can at least for these few minutes feel what you felt and under, put ourselves in your shoes and maybe next time we see something happening that is racist or that is unjust, that we put ourselves out there and we stand up for that person.
1: That's all we're asking, to just stand up with us and yes. call out for things that are not right. You know? Yes.
0: What is the most important thing you would like people to know
1: about you? My heart really goes out to immigrant refugees. I, I cry with them and I see their pain and I want them to know that I, I love being an advocate. You sound like a very oh
0: sensitive soul who cares deeply about justice really for all do. people. Yes. Okay, the last okay. three questions. What? is your best tip for making the world a better place?
1: My best tip for making the world a better place is using your voice and standing up for what is right.
0: That's an excellent tip. What are you the most thankful for?
1: I would say I'm most thankful for my family, the people who I've had around me that Um, mentors that that I've had around me that helped me get to where I am right now. Um, The opportunities that um, I've had that some people might not, you know, have. And I'm most thankful for just the opportunity of just learning, learning every day. All right, your last question. What is your favorite quote? My favorite quote, it's not really a quote that's out there. But it's probably is. It's I think I said it already. If you can if you can think it, you can do it.
0: That's perfect. My favorite quote. I'm going to remember that. I learned so Thank much you. from everybody that I meet and that I talk to. And I love being able to attribute a quote to each person. So that's going to be my takeaway from you today because you are proof. Mm-hmm. If you can think it, you can do it. You are <laughs> so inspiring, Raish. Thank you so Thank much you for this so time. Much. Thank you
1: so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Reish's dynamic personality, optimism, and excitement for life made me feel better by just spending time with her. She was given such a beautiful, solid foundation by her incredible parents. She knows who she is and is not daunted by any challenge. After all, if we have our own why of life, we shall get along with almost any how, according to German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Her life has proven this to be true. From Rache, I learned to never give up. She never felt sorry for herself. She views hardships as challenges to rise above instead of obstacles in her path. The harsh reality of racism and how it has impacted Rasha's life breaks my heart. I am so thankful for her vulnerability in sharing her heart wrenching experiences with us. I also appreciate her honesty and graciousness during our hard but necessary conversation about racism in our country. I want to continue learning how I can best show solidarity with my black and brown friends so they don't have to feel as if they are living with and bearing the burden of the societal cancer alone. May we all be encouraged to never give up by taking heed of Raisha's closing words. If you can think it, you can do it. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.